0: up in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26 through 40 today if you'll turn there. Uh, we've been looking at life in the community of the church. If you follow in chapter 15 he begins to talk about the resurrection a different subject. So next week we'll be going in another direction. If you have your Bibles would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. and We'll begin in verse 26. As you're turning there, uh, I consider myself to be a person of the 1980s. That was, if you want to call it my generation, my generation. I graduated from high school in 1983, college in 1987, was married in 1989, and so there are a lot of fond memories of that decade that was sort of my generation so i sort of looked at the 1980s some of the amazing things that happened during that decade one uh, well a number of it in the area of research the first permanent artificial heart uh, was developed in 1980 dna testing came to be in the 1980s and what an advantage that has been and investigating things and identifying things compact discs they may be old to a lot of you i still love my cds but they came in the 1980s disposable contact lens you didn't have to worry about finding that lens that fell out somewhere and having to buy an expensive pair you could just throw a pair away and replace them very soon there were a lot of technological inventions in the 80s but then there was fashion There was the big hair of the 1980s. My wife, Karen, believe it or not, she's got long hair. She had the big hair when I met her, actually, and it was beautiful. And she had beautiful hair and a lot of it, and that was popular in the 80s. Acid wash jeans were popular. I don't know if they're in style now. They were then. vans, not that you ride in, but the shoes, they were popularized. Shoulder pads for women. Members-only jackets. Raise your hand if you had a members-only jacket, man we had them my best friend i saw him yesterday he had the first members only jacket that i knew in the 80s puffy vests i still have puffy vests but they were popularized in the 80s and then the area of music electronic dance music with synthesizers you may remember school dances and the synthesizers in the 1980s rap was popularized and In that uh, season, R&B had a big resurgence in the 1980s, the Commodores, Lionel Richie, individuals like that. And then there was the art form of dance, Michael Jackson and the Moonwalk in the 1980s. Then there was a dance called the Cabbage Patch. And basically, for those of you who are old school, it's like churning butter (laughs) and trying to... Shake your hips at the same time. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to even try to do that. But actually, that's the way one person described it. But then there was this strange dance called slam dancing. And slam dancing was to music, heavy metal music, but it made no sense to me, and it definitely wasn't an art form. The first time I ever witnessed a slam dance was when I was a student at Hamden Sydney College. And in slam dancing, many people gather in a small area, very small area in a room, and they call it a mosh pit. And what happens is people just bang into each other. I mean, it's actually like, like, um, Bumper cars, and I mean the first, I mean, I'm from Appomattox, man. When I saw that stuff, I said, I'm not doing any of that. This stuff is crazy, and that was my first thought. The second thought is, and parents pay money for their kids to come to school and do that. But literally what would happen, I haven't done it. I watched it once or twice. They just run into that and bang into each other, and then they bounce off of somebody else while blaring music is going on. It was total chaos. I actually had to get out of the room. It was making my blood pressure go up. I love order. I don't like disorder. Isn't it good to know that God is a God of order? He ordered this day. When we wake up, even if the clouds are covering, the sun is there. He, he ordered the days of creation, very structured. And and there was an intent behind it. He orders the season. It's going to be really hot today, but it's going to get cooler as the fall comes. God's a God of order. And God loves order in the church, and that's what we're going to look at today. In verse 33 of 1 Corinthians 14, it says that God is not a God of disorder but of peace. Well, look with me back at verse 26. I want to read... Uh, This portion of chapter 14, what then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. He's helping us to understand now what he means is if it's chaotic, it's not going to serve its purpose. So if anyone speaks in another tongue, there to be only two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak only to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. In other words, it's time when you need to know, I've got to be quiet and listen. Verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophets' spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, Since it it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church, or did the word of God originate from you, or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in other tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Father, as we look at uh, this portion of Scripture, we need your help to understand it. I need, Lord, your strength and your words to communicate what Paul is saying to the church here. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And, Father, it is the measure of our lives. Lord, we're not to adjust our, uh, these words to our culture, but we're to adjust ourselves to you. So, Father, open our minds, our eyes To your truth, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I said, this is the last in a series of messages uh, on life in community. I've enjoyed studying it myself. I hope you've been challenged and motivated to understand and to apply the truth that God has you placed in the church for the purpose of ministering to others. We're to build up others, and so when we come on Sunday or when we're working through the week, The desire of our heart would be, Lord, use me to be a blessing to others, whether it be a child or whether it be uh, an adult, whether it be in the context of teaching or carrying out some other ministry in the church. And so as we look at it here, we understand that God has placed the church, he has a heart for the church, that we might be able not only to fellowship but to serve him through the local church. Now, it is possible for an individual to be a Christian and not involved in the local church. It is possible. But without direct involvement in the ministry of the local church, it is impossible for an individual to be fully fruitful as an isolated believer. It's, it's, It's not possible. So today, Paul addresses order in the church, and obviously there was a problem with disorder in the church at Corinth, or He would not have written these words. Multiple people were trying to have the floor and to speak, and it was coming out from all angles. Women were usurping a position in the worship service intended for the men. Tongue speakers were speaking without having an interpretation, and this was leading to confusion. And everyone was wanting to be heard, uh, but not to hear. And so Paul picks up on the issue here. And this morning, He gives instruction first to those who prophesied and who were speaking in tongues. Then he gives instruction for the women in the congregation. And then finally, he gives an overarching purpose for such instruction. I want to look at these individually today. But first, the instruction for those who prophesied and who spoke in tongues. This is the final week that we're going to be looking at the subject matter of life in the local church. And it is also the last of about three or four weeks that we have looked at the subject of prophecy and speaking in tongues. I almost felt guilty last week because one of the challenges I always place myself is to do it in a timely manner. I don't like, don't get me wrong, I'll stay and talk all day long, but my feeling is I've got to communicate it in a clear and concise manner. I went longer last week, but I'll be honest, this subject matter of Prophecy and the subject matter of tongues is not something we're going to talk about many times. It may be five or ten more years before we look at it, so it's important that we cover it thoroughly. And so I want to look today at the instruction for those who prophesied and who spoke in tongues. And so Paul emphasizes that here, and he had a great concern for orderliness. God desires that we have unity and order in the local church. There's a psalm before the days of the church was established, Psalm 133, and the psalmist says says how good and pleasant it is when brother lives together in harmony. It is like fine oil running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard on his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon falling, falling on the mountains of Zion. In other words, what it is saying is this. It is a blessing... When a church is orderly and unified. Now, I don't have a beard. Never ever had a beard. Never tried to grow a beard. My, my oldest son takes pride in growing one and may make him feel more man than me. That's good. So I don't know what it's like to have uh, thing, oil trickling down uh, my beard. So I, c- I can't identify that. All I know is what he's saying here is it's good. I know that dew on a mountain is fresh and it's good. So the use of these two particular gifts we see was threatening harmony in the church. First, the prophets were speaking out of turn. And so if we could sort of simulate that in our minds, whereas right now I'm speaking and many are listening, in the church at Corinth they had gatherings. And as this was happening, one person on the left was saying this, and then they were being overshadowed by someone who was speaking in the right. said in verse 26 here, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation. In other words, what it was, it was like a mosh pit of words bouncing off of each other. And patience was not being exhibited. The prophets, Paul says that two or three at most should speak. He says that in verse 29. And then in verse 30, he says, But if something has been revealed to another person, that first one should sit silently. And so at the end of verse 29, he talks about evaluation. And so what he's talking about is we don't need everyone just speaking, maybe two or three at the most. That needs at the end of verse 29 to be evaluated and if someone else is speaking and they have a direct word from the Lord, again, prophecy being an inceptive gift in the early church there, then you needed to be quiet. So restraint was needed. You know, I don't know about you, but one of the toughest qualities for individuals to possess is restraint in what we say, restraining our temper, restraining our attitude restraining our passions, but restraint is a sign of spiritual maturity, and restraint was needed in that time. When everyone had a word, when everyone had a message, everyone had a song, Paul is saying, restrain yourselves. It can be done. Look at verse 32. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets. So it wasn't that A prophet could just say, I can't help it. God has told me this. Everybody's got to hear it. And with great self-importance to say it, Paul's saying, No, the prophet's spirit is in a sense restrained or subject to it. In other words, he's saying you can practice self-control. You're you're not just some inanimate object that's passively involved in the process of speaking God's word, but you're an active agent. And in the life of the church, there's a time, even if you have that word, it may not be the right time to do it. You need to stop. You need to allow someone else to speak. And so what he says in verse 31 is you can carry out your ministry, but one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. I don't know about you, but... Being a preacher and teacher, I love to teach. I love to communicate what God is speaking to me. But it's very important for me to listen to someone else because if all I share is what I gain, that I may miss a blessing. And so not only was there disorder, but it was inhibiting the growth of the church there. And so what was emphasized by Paul is yield. What you feel to be your rights or what you're entitled to, yield it for the good of the church. How does that apply today? Because we've already talked about the gift of prophecy was an inceptive gift at the beginning of the establishment of the church. Now we have the written word of God. People may expound the word of God, but they're not prophesying fresh revelation. God's word speaks against that. And many of the cults in our day were started by individuals who called themselves prophets. The gift of tongues, we saw, was really not intended in this setting for the growth of the local church. But the the purpose of tongues was as a sign for unbelievers so that they might realize the gospel is real. I can believe the gospel. And it was not just for those who would believe, but also for those who were Jews to understand since the work of the gospel advancement was accompanied by signs, more people can come into the faith. But what was happening here is the prophets, one were speaking after another, and it was leading to chaos. And life in community calls us to restrain ourselves sometimes, many times. A good motto for life in the church was given by Paul, the Philippian church in Philippians 2.1. Everyone should look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. When you come into the corporate gathering, is your desire, I want to receive a blessing or I want to be a blessing? I think it's great to want to receive a blessing, but I will promise you if your desire is to be a blessing, then what you receive will in turn be a blessing to you. But what was happening in that church was everyone was asserting himself or herself, and the church is not to be a disordered cacophony of self-important important persons. Well, What about those who spoke in tongues? He says they were to yield and practice self-control. Now this flies in the face of those who adhere to tongues being ecstatic utterances of just, I speak in the Spirit and I can't control it and it just happens. It's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying you can control it. Notice what he says in verse 27. He's saying, if anyone speaks in another tongue, there to be only two or at the most three, each in turn and interpret. In other words, what he's saying, it's not you've got some ecstatic utterance and you can't control it and it's just pouring out and you're passively involved and it's going. No, what he's saying here is you can control it. Two or three at a time at most could speak, and each in turn. Not one over the other, but one doing and then the other. And added to that, if there's no interpreter, we see in in verse 28, that person is to keep silent in the church and just to speak to himself and God. In other words, don't try to impress people with your tongue speaking. But if it's not done in an orderly way, in a way that's going to contribute to the order and the well-being of the church, then put a rest to it. And so as we look at it, there's the danger in the church for the gifts to become the focus. The prophet to say, I have a word the tongue speaker to fascinate people, the women to say, I'm going to assert myself on this because I know what I'm talking about. But to be honest, it's God's inward work that demonstrates maturity. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that is the measure of spiritual maturity. Not the outward work of the gifts of the Spirit. Does God use the gifts? Yes, he does. But we're not to be consumed by them. We're to focus on the giver. And then that moves us to the second part of the instruction, the instruction for the women at the church in Corinth. When I first came to this series, somebody said, Rick, you know you're going there. I said, I know I am. So I went with my eyes open. That's the beautiful thing about God's word. When you preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you get to whatever comes next. You don't handpick. And don't get me wrong, there are times when I have messages that I may, next week, in all likelihood, because it's a one or two week break before homecoming, uh, I will speak directly on a subject. That right now, I'm feeling work, talking just about work, about the Christian's attitude, about work ethic in this post-COVID or current COVID era or whatever. But in this series, one verse has come after the other. And so we move on into verse 33, the last part of the verse and following. We've already looked at the subject of women in the church in 1 Corinthians 11. There, Paul wrote about the woman's attire. And in the public Christian setting, uh, she was to have her head covered. And that was a a sign of her submission, of uh, the authority that she's willing uh, to submit to. Now, women today don't wear hats, and so it's not a cultural practice today. But the command of role and uniqueness of gender is not just contextual. We can't just look at this and say, well, that was what was said then. Let's just totally disregard it. That's not possible. And so in verse 34, in regard to women who wanted to use the occasion to assert themselves in the public gatherings, Paul said, no, the woman should be silent in the church. Now, that doesn't sound right to us, does it? It doesn't sound right. But as I began to think about that, what affects our minds? Are we in God's word all the time? Are we following contemporary culture all the time? I I, I don't know about you, but uh, I I don't have my cable right now or direct TV. It's been a blessing. If I want to get old stuff, I get old stuff. Uh, I'll probably, I'll be honest, when sports comes back, I may get it back. But I got where I can't stand to listen to the news. It's so biased, whatever way. I'm, I'm talking about left, right, whatever. Because every time when you watch it, they're trying to frame what you think. And that's what the culture is trying to do. The culture is trying to frame what we think. So when we look at God's word, we're like, whoa, what is this? A few weeks ago, I, I mentioned how I detest some of the songs that just pick out the letters in red. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, there are a couple of songs I do like. I, I'm not going to hold as hard because they're not putting down the letters in black. But we have to be very careful in the church. That we don't say, well, these are the letters of red and these are the letters of black. And we begin to say, this is the word of God and this is not the word of God. Don't get me wrong. The letters in red are fine, but the letters in black are pretty doggone good too. It's the word of God. The letters in red said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the letters in black say, But God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The whole word is the word of God. So we could sit down on this for a long time because Paul is saying something that sort of goes against what our mind would be. But we've got a baptism coming up, so we're going to move on. But there are three things that I want to look at what Paul is not saying here. Paul is not prohibiting a female from speaking in the church. So if you came into the church today, ladies, and you said, hello, how are you? Or if you made a greeting, or when Rose came and greeted people here as she came to lead in the song, that's not what he's prohibiting. What was happening in the context here was this. People were speaking authoritative words of God. There were prophets who were saying, I have a word from God, a fresh word. There were people who were tongues who had special gifts that were saying, God has spoken to me in another language. I'm able to give that language to you. Now, they needed the interpreters. And so everybody was speaking authoritatively. So what is he saying here? that when it comes to the authoritative teaching in a public setting of men and women, women are not in position to teach and to speak authoritatively the word of God. You say, well, that sounds old-fashioned. That's just contextual. Well, that's the second part. It doesn't say that a female can't speak, but what it's saying she's not to be in a position of mixed setting to speak authoritatively the word of God But secondly, it's not just a cultural prohibition. People are quick to say, well, that was in a day when women were looked at differently from today. And we live in a a more advanced day and we understand these things. I would go with that, except I can't get around 1 Corinthians 11.8. When Paul is talking about, again, uh, the the position of women in the church, he goes back all the way uh, to creation and he says, there's an order here. The man was created first, and then the woman. And he's speaking about it in the distinction that exists. And so if we say, well, it's just cultural, well, Paul took Corinth, which was in the first century A.D., and he went back 4,000 years uh, to creation when he was talking about it. So we can't just say it was one time. And then we read also that the. God gives, through Paul, instruction for the home. And he says the husband is to be the head of the wife. And so why would God give instruction for the home and then his very home, the church? Why would he give different instruction? Why would he say, well, it's different here? Paul refers in verse 34 to the law. He said the women should be silent in the church for they're not permitted to speak. Again, that's in the context of speaking authoritatively the word of God, preaching and prophesying in that context in the early church. But he said, as the law also says, the law of this Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, in that law that was given to Moses, we see in Genesis chapter 3, after the woman was sinned, the man sinned, and, and uh, uh, the serpent and transgressed what God said, there was a judgment that came upon each. And to the woman it says, Your desire should be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And he didn't say the same judgment to man. He gave a different, but there was a distinct judgment. And so Paul, and he's speaking about all this, he says in verse thirty six Or did the word of God originate from you? Or did it come to you only? In other words, the prophets were just carrying away one over top of the other, that those that were speaking in tongues were not having interpreters. The ladies were asserting themselves authoritatively in the church. And basically in verse 36, Paul is saying, well, did Christianity begin with you? Basically what he's saying, this isn't done in the other churches. And so why are you doing differently? So it's not a prohibition against a woman speaking in the church, but it also is not just a cultural prohibition, as Paul goes back in this book uh, to the, the time of creation in the fall. But then the third thing, it's not a misogynistic instruction. I don't know about you. I had no idea what misogynistic meant until a couple years ago. Now it's the catchword. I want you to think about this for a moment just stop and think, because I have this week. Is it any wonder that gender confusion is rearing its ugly head today when we have rejected gender distinction continually? Is it any wonder that gender confusion is rearing its ugly head today when we have rejected gender distinction the confusion today over gender is rampant. It is a crisis that we're in, and it is a direct result of people rejecting that God made man, man, and woman, woman. That God made man with certain responsibilities, and woman with a and the woman says, "No, I don't want that." You're rejecting the distinction of the role. Don't be surprised when when things get cloudy. You start rejecting one. Men say, well, I don't want that. I didn't want to do that. Don't be surprised when there's confusion. If there's a time to adhere to the word of God, it's today. So Paul moves on in verse 37. And speaking of all of this, the the, the women who were asserting authority in the teaching of the word and speaking in the instruction time for uh the ones who were prophesying the the, the ones speaking in tongues he thinks okay now if anyone is a prophet or spiritual he should recognize that what i write to you is the lord's command what's he saying i love the words in black he's saying this is the word of god it's the command of god all right what i say to you is not my opinion This is the apostle speaking on apostolic authority, the word of God. So he said, you should recognize it as the Lord's command, but if you ignore this, he will be ignored. In other words, if you reject this, then you're to be rejected in your voice in the ministry of the local church. So as we look at it again, and we talked about it when we were in 1 Corinthians 11, he's not speaking about the value of a person. There's... There's no male-female in regard to value, but he's speaking about the distinction in the role, that the role of the husband is to be the head spiritually in the home. He's not to relinquish that role. He's to be that. He's, he's to lead in the church in the public assembly. Well, what's the overarching of purpose for all of this instruction? In the midst of these three situations, the uh, words of prophecy, the, the uh speaking in tongues and the women speaking in the church, Paul says basically in verse 40, he summarizes it. He said everything's to be done decently and in an order. In other words, when someone comes into the church, they shouldn't be bouncing their head back and forth as people are speaking and wondering what they shouldn't feel like. I felt that one or two times when I saw slam dancing and I said, I don't want any part of that. I'm out of there. There should be order. For the person who says, well, I can't help it. It's an ecstatic utterance. I just have to let it out. I'm just a passive agent. The Holy Spirit's taking me away. That's not what God's word says. It says two or three, and that in order. So it's not some mindless thing, but he says the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet. And the same thing we might say in regard to speaking in tongues, you have control over what you do. You ever said the right thing at just the wrong time? It can happen. It can happen. Why is all of this important? We go back to summarizing everything. God gifts the church with individuals to build up the church so the church is better with that individual than it would be without. Secondly, to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. When the church is functioning well, when it's in order, when there's a joy in the church, when there's ministry, when it's built up, when the people who are carrying out the gifts are carrying them out in an orderly way, the the way that God would have them to be, it becomes a testimony in its community. I wonder today, are you an agent of order and peace in the church? And then as we look at this broader 10-week series of messages, and as we close it, are you serving God for his glory, for the benefit of others. As we close going into the fall, we're looking at Sunday school ministry. We're looking at ministry to children. I, I was sharing with our youth minister, Matt, last night. He hasn't been able to sit in a worship service in months. And I was saying, Matt, we got to find somebody each week that can be you, that can be can lead out you get the material to them you get that let them lead and then you can be here with the youth some you can come and go at that but i'll be honest we can't do everything that god's called us to do here because we don't have enough people serving we don't have enough we don't have enough we need more we need more wouldn't it be sad to die and realize I wasted the best years of my life trying to make money, trying to make a name for myself, trying to be successful in sports, to be successful in business, to be successful, and then to stand before God and say, honestly, it just wasn't important to me. God, I'm sorry. I, I, didn't, I didn't have time. I, I had time to, to go to Dairy Queen on a 100-degree day, but I didn't have time to put into serving the children, serving the youth, helping to carry out the ministry of the church. This is a body. We need to serve him in order as God places it as he desires. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word today, we thank you for it. Lord, it's a hot day. We're thankful we can be in this comfortable building. But Lord, as we close this series of messages on life in the local community, Father, we confess to you that all too often we don't take seriously our responsibility in the body. Lord, if many of us were involved in a fraternity or a group like that and we were as inactive, uh, we'd get our our, uh, pink notice and uh, we'd definitely be questioned. But, Father, we're doing your kingdom work, Lord. There's nothing more important than serving you. Uh, Lord, the scripture tells us that uh, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value both for this life and the life to come. Father, as we look at order in church, Father, we confess as we look at this word, uh, it can seem so strange compared to what the culture says, but Father, it may well be an indictment that we're being framed more by the culture of today rather than what your word teaches. Father, you had authority over the disciples, but what did you do, Lord? You will you wash their feet and so father this isn't about one up or position of power but it's about lord functionality we thank you that you love us we thank you that you gave yourself for us father speak in this hour we pray in jesus name amen maybe god has impressed upon your heart today.